Um, I'm going to pray as we come to read from the book of Habakkuk. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in our midst. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak during this time, that Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts and in our minds, that you would bring us to a point of worshipping Jesus in a greater way. And you would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us. Lord, have your way in this room during this time as we read your word and I preach, Lord God. We just hand it over to you and we say, do what you will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So three weeks ago, we began a sermon series in the book of Habakkuk, which I introduced as my favourite book of the Bible. It's a book all about raw emotion and prayer. It's a book that uh, handles the issue of suffering. And it's a book that calls Christians to have faith, even joy, during times of difficulty. So I must admit that I'm grateful to God for his providence that I'm preaching through this book at this time. It's been extremely helpful to me to have been preparing in this book and and then to go through something that I didn't want to go through, but to go through something that's difficult and hard, to just have the words of this book so close to my heart during this time has been a great, great comfort. And, And so I'm grateful to God for that. God's word has been powerful and timely for me personally. And I hope that God's word will speak to you this morning and through the rest of this sermon series and through this wonderful book of the Bible. So let me remind you what happened in Habakkuk chapter 1 three weeks ago. It started with a complaint. Habakkuk complains to God and says, there's no justice, God, in Judah. There's no justice in this land. I pray to you, God, but you don't hear me. You don't listen. And God responds to Habakkuk. And says, well, don't worry, Habakkuk, justice is coming to the land of Judah. Justice is coming to Israel. I'm going to send the Chaldeans. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And they're going to come and invade Jerusalem, invade Judah, and bring justice on the people of Israel who have been sinning and been violent and been working in terrible, horrible ways. Well, Habakkuk complains again to God. What? What are you talking about, God? The Chaldeans are even worse than the Israelites. The Babylonians are even more violent. They're even more full of themselves. They worship themselves. They think they're their own gods. How could you possibly choose to use the Babylonians, God? What are you thinking? Is kind of Habakkuk. Is how Habakkuk responds to this message from God. You can see how this is a book that encourages us to pray and be open and honest with God. And I hope you've been putting that into practice since we learned three weeks ago that we're able to say to God, this is how I feel. And we know that God is big enough to handle our real emotion, our real feelings, the, real, the things we really feel. So this morning, we're going to read Habakkuk 2, 1 to 4. And we're going to see how God will respond to Habakkuk's second complaint. So turn in your Bibles, if you've got them, to Habakkuk 2, verses 1 to 4. And if not, it should appear on the screen behind me. Thank you, Gareth. So um, verse 1 is Habakkuk finishing his complaint, and then God responds in verse 2. So this is how Habakkuk finishes his complaint. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. 
It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, that's not the end of God's response, and next week we'll read the rest of the way God responds to Habakkuk. In verse 1, at the end of Habakkuk's second complaint, Habakkuk does something very, very wise. He says, I'm going to wait. I'm taking my stand at the watchpost, and I'm going to wait for an answer to what I've said to God. And I want to encourage you... When you pray, when you have your quiet times, when you have your times of complaining to God, if that's what, how you feel, if that's what you want to do, when you, when you pray, leave times of listening in those moments. Say, God, this is what I'm going through. This is how I feel about this. And then wait, just as Habakkuk does at the end of the second complaint, to see if God will speak to you, to see if God will answer you. Wait in silence for words, pictures, prophecies. God does often speak to us in those moments. I I know quite often for me, I'll often be praying, perhaps I'm praying about church, and I'll just stop and wait, and God will put something in my mind, someone on my mind, and just the prompt to go, that person needs a text, or that person just needs a prayer, and so often I'll do that. I'll text that person, say, I've been praying for you, what's going on? That's often how God will speak to me in the quiet. But God obviously also speaks through the word. So when you pray, don't just speak at God, but wait in the quiet and open your Bible, seeking to hear from God. Our relationship with God is about speaking and about listening. And Habakkuk demonstrates that in verse 1 of chapter 2. He's very, very wise in waiting for God to answer him what he's been saying. And that's exactly what happens. In verse 2, God does answer Habakkuk. And he says to Habakkuk, I want you to write this down. Put it on a tablet so that someone who's running can read the tablet as they're running. That's how clear I want you to make this vision on the tablet. This is a vision that I want to be shared. I want messengers to run and share this vision. So God says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to tell you how I'm responding to your complaint. And I want you to write it down, which is why we have the book of Habakkuk, because of that verse. God tells Habakkuk to write this down. It's why we have this book. And in verse 3, God says, be patient. I'm going to give you a vision, but it might not come to pass straight away. You need to wait. It will surely come. It's not going to delay that this vision will come in my time. It's going to come at the right time, and God's timing is always perfect. So verse 2, God answers. Verse 3, God says, but wait. Wait for this vision to be fulfilled. And that's exactly what happens. That Chapter 2 is a vision of judgment upon the Babylonians. When we read from verse 5 onwards next week, And we're going to be reading about sin and judgment. That's a fun advert for next week's sermon. We're going to be talking about sin and judgment. That's what it's all about. But that judgment doesn't come straight away. The Babylonians enjoy a season of success. And then 60 years later, 60 years after Habakkuk writes this down, then the Babylonians are defeated and the Persians come and and conquer the Babylonians. And actually, the judgment described in Habakkuk 2 is really only fulfilled at the final judgment. So in a sense, we're still waiting for the fulfilment of Habakkuk chapter 2. Some of the judgment that's described is the ultimate final judgment that will befall these Babylonians for the sin that they've committed. So God says in verse 3, be patient. My word is iron. What I say always comes to pass. So don't Don't worry, this will happen. But I want to focus this morning on verse 4. 
And I know last time I preached, I said something controversial, which is that Habakkuk is the best book in the Bible. Well, let me be even more controversial. I, in my opinion, Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is the best verse in the Bible. Um, I know there'll be people who disagree with me on that one. But I love, I love this verse. I love this verse. So Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Let me read it to you again. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now that verse describes two people. The first person represents the Babylonians. And the first person is puffed up. He's arrogant. He's not upright in his soul, in his inner being. And the second person is who God wants Habakkuk to be in the days ahead. He wants Habakkuk and he wants us to be righteous people living by faith. So two people, the Babylonians puffed up, arrogant, full of themselves, not upright, and the righteous person living by faith. Now let's think about the first person. Let's think about the Babylonians first. God describes this man as having a puffed up soul. And if you look at the Hebrew, my actual preferred translation is a swollen soul. Not just because it's quite difficult to say, swollen soul. Basically, the souls of the Babylonians, the soul of this man, is an unhealthy size. It's, it's swollen up, it's sick, it's going wrong. In, the, in his inner being, in the very person that he is, this man has a swollen soul. And of course, that soul is swelling with pride and arrogance. In chapter 1, verse 11, God describes what it means to have a swollen soul. He describes the Babylonians like this, guilty men whose own might is their God. They worship themselves. And so the first thing I really want to do this morning is ask us to examine ourselves. Are we like the Babylonians with swollen souls? Are we puffing up our souls with pride and arrogance? And I want to give you two symptoms of a swollen soul as we examine ourselves this morning. The first symptom of a swollen soul is prayerlessness. When we don't pray, we're effectively saying, I can do this in my own might. I don't need you, God, for this. I don't need to pray. I don't need to ask for your help. I can do this in my own strength. When we don't pray, we're worshipping our own might, just like the Babylonians with swollen souls in Habakkuk chapter 1 and 2. Ask yourself this morning, are you prayerful in every area of your life? You know, sometimes we're good at praying about certain things, but other areas of our life, we just go, I can do this. I'm I'm okay. I don't need to pray about this. So ask yourself, do I pray about my job? Not necessarily that you would be successful in your career, but prayers like this. Help me, Lord, to honour you today in my job, to do my very best today in my job. Because if you don't pray like that, then you're essentially saying, well, I can do my job by myself. I don't need God in my job. I need God on a Sunday when I go to church and I I might need God in my family life, but actually I can do my job by myself. I don't need to pray about my job. Well, I would encourage you to say, actually, God is the one who strengthens you to do your job. God is the one who has blessed you with the skills and the knowledge you have to do your job. So continue to honour him by praying for yourself in your career, in your job, as you work. 
What about your family life? Is that an area that you pray about? Do you pray prayers like this? Lord, make me a better husband, wife, father, mother, brother and sister. Family life is often difficult and hard. It's important that we lift our family lives up to God and ask for his help. He is our heavenly father and so he loves families. He loves to bless our family life but he wants us to trust him and to come to him in prayer to not say I can be the very greatest father in my own strength. No, he wants us to say actually being a dad's really difficult Lord would you help me and all those different relations come to God. What about even in your resting and your relaxing? I think some people can, when it comes to relaxing and resting, that's just like a God-free zone. I think I've lived in seasons where relaxing and resting has just been a God-free zone. I've just switched on the TV and just, just sat on the sofa. But actually, that's not good resting and relaxing. Great relaxing and resting is resting in God's presence and asking for his help. Are you weary? Are you tired? Well, why don't you pray for God to help you relax and help you to rest? He, he's the God of all comfort. He wants to bring his comfort into those moments too. Are you praying for every area of your life? I haven't mentioned all areas, but are you a prayerful person? Or are you having prayerless days or prayerless areas of your life? And if so, that's a symptom of a swollen soul. Trying to do things in your own strength. We sung that song, didn't we? Uh, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's a song all about the fact that Jesus works through us and gives us strength to do the things that we need to do. We don't do things in our own strength. And if you're thinking, actually, I could pray more, I probably am a bit prayerless, I'm a bit convicted by this, then, then just confess that sin to God. We have a merciful God who loves us. We have a saviour in Jesus who died on the cross for us. So this isn't meant to make us feel guilty. It's meant to make us come to God and confess our sin and receive mercy and forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. The second symptom of a swollen soul is very similar, but it's a lack of thankfulness to God. Prayerlessness is a symptom of a swollen soul. A lack of thankfulness to God is a symptom of a swollen soul. You know, three weeks ago when I preached on Habakkuk chapter 1, Um, This doesn't happen every week, but three weeks ago, lots of you came and said um, how powerful it was as a sermon and how it's spoken to lots of people. It's very encouraging to me, so thank you for all those words. Well, what do I do with that? Well, what I could have done is gone home and gone, man, I am an awesome preacher. I am so good. I am changing the world by preaching. That's how I could have reacted to all those great encouragements and comments. But instead, what I did is is prayed and said, Lord, thank you for this morning. You moved mightily in our midst. Just Spirit, Holy Spirit was present. Lord, I just want to say thank you for using little old me and affecting people's lives. And, and thank you for my church who was so encouraging, Lord. There, there was a moment of thanking God for that small success last time I preached. Do you know every success in your life is an opportunity to magnify and glorify God or it's an opportunity to puff up your own soul. Think about um, stuffing in a teddy bear. And every success is like the stuffing that goes into a teddy bear. And you can either take that stuffing and give it to God and magnify him, make, glorify him, give him the thanksgiving, or you can take that stuffing and stuff it in here. And as you stuff it into your own soul, giving yourself the glory and the praise, your, your soul puffs up and swells in an unhealthy way. I think many of us this morning need to confess sin, admit prayerlessness, admit to God a lack of thankfulness and repent of our swollen souls 
and start relying on God, worshipping him rather than worshipping our own might. So, on one side of Habakkuk 2 verse 4, you have the arrogant idolaters with swollen souls. Well, what's the opposite? What's the opposite of being someone with a puffed up, swollen soul? Is it we're shrinking violets with no confidence at all? Is that the opposite of having a puffed up soul? Well, no. Not at all, actually. The opposite of having a puffed up soul is to be people living by faith. They find their confidence in trusting God rather than relying on their own strength. The righteous shall live by faith, Habakkuk writes in verse 4. It sounds like a New Testament verse, doesn't it? The righteous shall live by faith. But there it is in the Old Testament, written 600 years before Jesus was even born. An amazing, amazing thing to find in the Old Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. The remedy for swollen souls is trusting God, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, this, this verse, unsurprisingly, is quoted three times in the New Testament. Paul is a big fan of Habakkuk 2 verse 4. He quotes it twice in his letter. And the writer to the Hebrews also quotes from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. And when we read the New Testament quotations of Habakkuk 2 verse 4, we can start to unpack and understand what it really means to say, the righteous shall live by his faith. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to read to you um, Galatians 3, 11 to 14. And I'm also going to read verse 24. Um, tw- verse 24 is not on the screen, but the first, three, the first few verses are. So Galatians 3, verses 11 to 14. This is Paul quoting Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And verse 24 says this. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. I'm going to come back to Galatians. I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Again, Paul using this verse in Habakkuk to talk about salvation. So this is Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written... The righteous shall live by faith. I'm going to focus on that Galatians passage because Paul uses the verse the same way in both those passages. He understands the the verse in the same way in both those passages. I'm going to focus on Galatians 3. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that this verse is about becoming righteous. So in Galatians 3 verse 11, no one is justified by the law. That word justified means made righteous. And to be made righteous is to stand before God 
not as a guilty person, but as a righteous person. It's, it's often used in a legal sense. So you're standing before a judge, you're either guilty before the judge or you're righteous before the judge. And so when Paul says no one is justified by the law, what Paul is saying is no one stands before God the judge as a righteous person by obedience to the law. And the reason is because no one follows all the commands of the law. Every single one of us in this room have broken at least one, in fact, multiple parts of God's law, God's instructions in our lives. So no one is justified. No one's made righteous in the sight of God by doing good works, by following the law. No one gets in God's good books in their own strength. We all fall short. No one is righteous. Not one. Not one. According to the law, all of us are guilty and therefore under a curse. But... Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The law becomes a curse to you and to me because we have not obeyed the law and therefore we're worthy of a punishment. So the law is in a sense a curse upon me. But Christ in his love, came to earth and became cursed on my behalf and on your behalf if you're a believer in Christ this morning. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross, hanging on the tree, has become a curse for us. He takes our punishment. He dies for us. Why does he do that? So that we might receive the gift of righteousness. He takes our curse We take his righteousness so that we receive this great gift of righteousness. We are justified. We are made righteous in the sight of God because of what Jesus did for us in hanging upon the cross, hanging upon that cursed tree. And by doing that, he not only gives us righteousness, he also gives us everlasting life. This is is the work of Christ upon the cross. Becoming a curse for you in order that you might be made righteous. Dying in order that you might receive everlasting life. Well, how do we receive this great salvation that Christ has won for us upon the cross? We receive it by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Made righteous, therefore we live, not just here on earth, but an everlasting eternal life by faith. This is what Habakkuk is saying in Habakkuk 2 verse 4. It's what God is saying through Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2 verse 4. And this is what Paul is writing about in Galatians 3 and in Romans 1. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this glorious good news that we believe as Christians. I'm not ashamed. The righteous shall live by faith. I've been made righteous because of Christ's love for me upon the cross. And I've received that glorious gift by faith. Faith is the gateway to righteousness and life eternal. Faith placed In Jesus Christ, the one who has rescued you by dying on the cross and rising again. And so I want to call on all of us today, put your faith in Jesus. Do not swell your own souls, trusting that you are a good person and you can earn God's kindness in your life. But rather admit you need saving. what's the opposite of puffing up? Uh, Deflate your souls and admit that you need saving by putting your faith in Jesus and recognising him as your saviour, the one who died for you. 
He will make you righteous. He will give you life and everlasting life to the full. The righteous shall live by faith. I tell you the truth. Two weeks ago, I sat at the bedside of a dying lady, a lady who I love, that had a fantastic mother-in-law. And I tell you the truth, without faith in Christ, that moment would have been pure despair, complete hopelessness, only sorrow. I have no idea how non-Christians go through moments like that. It's just, but because Lil had placed her faith in Jesus Christ and because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ and because my wife Rachel has placed her faith in Jesus Christ and the family that was gathered around had faith in Jesus Christ, yes, there was sadness, but it was sadness filled with hope that she was going to be with Jesus and we would see her again in paradise one day. It was only faith in Christ that really got us through that moment. So if you're not a believer this morning, I plead with you, put your faith in Jesus. One day you will be in that same place. You will be facing death and there'll be no hope. There'll be only despair, only sorrow to look forward to. So I say, please put your faith in Jesus Christ. He offers you righteousness. He offers you eternal life. I beg you. Because Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is a glorious verse for me. It was a comfort to me in those moments over the last two weeks. This is the way we receive righteousness. By faith in Jesus Christ. This is the way we receive everlasting life. By faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous shall live by faith. In Hebrews 10, Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is used in a slightly different way. Faith isn't just the entrance into righteousness and salvation and everlasting life. It's also the path we walk, the manner in which we live our lives as Christians. So faith in one sense is the gateway. You have faith in Jesus and you enter into righteousness, you enter into everlasting life. But it's also as we walk as Christians, the way we ought to walk, filled with faith. So let me read to you Hebrews 10, verses 37 to 39. Hebrews 10, 37 to 39. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, the first thing you'll notice in Hebrews 10 is the quotation of Habakkuk seems to be a little off. It's a little different from what's in the uh, original Habakkuk. And the reason is because he, the writer of Hebrews is quoting, this is really technical, but I love this stuff. The writer of Hebrews is quoting from a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So before Jesus was born, there was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures into ancient Greek. And that ancient Greek translation, the rabbis who did it, um, 
they did something a bit like the message translation. So instead of translating word for word, they sort of added their own layers of interpretation into what they were reading. And so the person who translated this verse in Habakkuk added, added some ideas, which we're going to unpack in a second, into Habakkuk in this Greek translation. The writer of Hebrews says they've, they've understood this verse in greater detail in some ways. So I'm going to quote from this version. So that's why the quote's slightly different. If you want to ask more questions about that, I'll talk your ear off for hours and hours about um, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Greek Septuagint, which is the name of the translation, and then how the New Testament uses the Septuagint and the Hebrew Old Testament. Anyway, I'm going to get carried away. I'm excited about that, but I'm excited even more about what the verse says. So it's a slightly different translation, not word for word, but with a layer of interpretation added. And the layer that's emphasised in Hebrews is this, don't shrink back, but live by faith. My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So the encouragement in this layer of interpretation in Hebrews is don't shrink back. Don't think the opposite of having a puffed up soul is shrinking back. No, have boldness, have faith, step forward. We're not those who are shrink back. And if you read Hebrews chapter 11, where is this heading? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the halls of of faith. And Hebrews 11 is this chapter about Old Testament heroes who did amazing things because they trusted God. So it's got the story of Noah who built the ark because God told him to. He built this boat and he was saved through the flood because he had great faith. The, the world looked at him and thought he was crazy, but he had faith in God and, and, so, and, and so he built this ark and was saved through the flood. It's got the story of Abraham who left the safety and security of this land where he'd always lived. God told him, go to a foreign land. So he went into a land he'd never been before. And, and God blessed him and gave him this land and he, and he settled. It's this story of great faith of leaving because God says leave and going to a new place. Amazing faith. It's got the story of Sarah who conceived in her old age. She had faith and by faith she conceived and gave birth even though she was far too old to give birth. It's stories of people who had boldness in their life, of people who didn't shrink back but people who had faith in God day by day. They didn't these Old Testament saints lived by faith. It was their lifestyle choices. Now, they made mistakes and got things wrong all the time. But generally, these people described in Hebrews chapter 11 are people who had great faith in God. And so, Christians, brothers, sisters, God calls us to have bold, faith-filled lives. We don't just receive righteousness and receive everlasting life by faith. We live by faith. That's how, I wonder if people looked at your life, would they say that person lives by faith? They're bold in the way they live because they're always having faith in God's power to move mightily. When there's an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a friend or family member, do we shrink back in fear or do we faithfully, boldly declare truth to the people around us? If there's an opportunity to pray for healing, do we shrink back and go, oh, but what if God doesn't answer that prayer and it goes wrong and I embarrass myself in front of this person? Or do we say, actually, I've got faith that God can move. I'm going to take a bold step here and I pray. And, and God, in his wisdom, will decide whether to act miraculously and heal someone or, or actually he's got greater purpose. But we, ha we have faith. We, have we live by faith. Do we have faith here in this room when we're gathered together as the church to sing loudly, to bring a prophetic word, to encourage someone else in the room? Are we living out our faith here or are we quite timid, shy? Are we living by faith when we gather together? 
when we have an opportunity to give generously, do we shrink back and go, oh, I just give a very small amount because I actually I just want to make sure I'm okay and be wise and safe in my future? Or do we say, no, there's someone in need, there's a charity, there's a nation of Ukraine that needs finance, that needs things going on, I'm going to give generously, I'm going to give in a faith-filled way in order to support those who are not doing very well, who need help. Are we faith-filled in our giving when we face trials in our lives? And perhaps this is the thing where we really need to, this, these are the moments where we really need to show faith. This is what Habakkuk's facing. He's being told that his country, his city is going to be invaded by the Babylonians. And God says the righteous shall live by faith. When we face trials, do we shrink back and give up and say, I'm not going to believe in God anymore. I'm not going to trust in God anymore. I'm not going to bother praying. Or do we cling boldly to Christ, knowing that Christ is using those moments to sharpen us like sickles, to change us and transform us, and he's using those moments for good. Habakkuk has this very temptation, doesn't he? Oh man, I'm the prophet and Babylon are invading my country. I think I'll probably go quiet. I'll shrink back, I'll hide myself, and I won't write down this great vision that I've been given because the Babylonians aren't going to like it very much, are they? So I'm going to be in big trouble if I write this down. That, that was the temptation that Habakkuk faced. And yet here he is, boldly prophesying, not afraid to write down his words on a tablet so that even someone running can read them. He's, he's unafraid. He's living by faith in that moment. I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes when things get tough, we just wake up and we just need to pray, Lord, I trust you in this situation and just saying that in prayer is helpful and powerful you know quite often we don't know what God is doing why he's acting in certain ways in certain seasons the other thing as well as the encouragements from my last sermon I got people asking me questions about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and how do I understand that and you know a large part of my answer was I don't know I'm just trusting God that he's going to use it for good and that he's going to bring justice at the right time when he wants to bring justice And obviously that's much harder when it's personal and it's affecting our lives and sometimes we just need to wake up and go, God, I don't understand why this is happening, what's going on. I'm expressing my real raw emotion to you, but I trust you. That's great faith. The Christian who clings to Christ, even in the midst of suffering and difficulty. So church, let's not be puffed up in arrogance Let's receive salvation through faith in Christ. But let us also keep pressing on in boldness, knowing that it's Jesus whom we place our faith in. He is the all-powerful, compassionate saviour who will never let us down. All power and authority belong to him and his love has been displayed for us to see upon the cross. So place your trust in him And boldly, take risks for his kingdom. Trust in him every day of your life. He will never let you down. Let me pray for us. In fact, can I invite you to stand and invite the band to come back up. I'm going to pray for us. In response to this wonderful verse that I love from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, firstly, we want to confess that we have sinned, that in areas of our lives we have puffed up our own souls and trusted in our own strength and in our own might. 
and we are sorry for that. We thank you for Jesus' death upon the cross and his blood that was shed that washes us clean from our prayerlessness, from our lack of thanksgiving. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who works within us to change us. And we pray that we would no longer have swollen souls, but we would be filled with faith in you, Lord God. I pray for anyone who does not yet know Jesus as their saviour. I pray you grant them the gift of faith, Lord God. Grant them righteousness and grant them everlasting life. And for all who have trusted in Christ, we rejoice at the life and righteousness we have received. But we pray, make our lifestyles lifestyles of faith, Lord God. When When times turn difficult, may we trust in you. And when we have opportunities to step out and take in a worldly sense something that looks like a risk I pray we would be bold to honour you trusting that you can even use us and to work through us Lord God I pray people would say Christ Church Fairham that's a church of faith they boldly live trusting in Jesus the people they just really believe in him and I pray for the individuals Lord that people would look at our lives and say yeah that that person has faith they have guts because they believe in Jesus' power and love lord we thank you for this glorious promise this glorious truth that the righteous shall live by faith i pray do it in our midst in jesus name amen